Welcome to Manager Tools. Today's topic, span of control guidelines. Here we go. Simple question mark. How many people can the average manager supervise and do we have any rules to apply when creating team sizes? Get that question yeah, fairly frequently. Pretty frequently, yep. Yeah. Um, and there's no really right answer. Um, there's no right number. Um, but guys, if you need a starting point, uh, the number is six to eight, okay? It is also better to test somebody first with maybe four people in a team lead role, which is much more possible than most of us realize. You don't have to reorg to do it. You should always choose too few. If you're wondering whether it should be six or eight, you should always choose six to start with for a couple of reasons we'll explain. If the team is virtual or remote, the average manager can handle less, not more. Okay, remote managing is harder. You lack some of the tools that managers take for granted after years of being co-located. And lastly, if the work that the team does is not complementary, in other words, it doesn't have to be combined in order to produce value for the organization, then you can handle more. The majority of managers supervise people whose work is complementary, but we'll give you a couple of examples, hopefully, to help with that. Okay, so let's talk about the fact that there is no right number, because a lot of folks believe that to be true. That's what yeah. they said, right? Yeah, and what they mean by right is right for everyone all the time, sort of scientifically. And people believe it for a couple of reasons that help themselves feel good about themselves. The first reason is when people generally confront complex topics, they want to believe that it's simply a bunch of rules that others know and they don't, right? That there's, oh, it's just teach me the two plus two, right? That then suggests that once they acquire that knowledge, once they simply get it, that's all that's necessary and they'll become as good as anybody who does that. This is particularly true of things that people don't think of as being in their core value. For instance, if I think of myself as creative, I want management to be super simple. Um, whereas I understand that creativity is an art and it's hard and so on. Basically, people want to believe that the thing they can't do or don't know about or don't know how to do isn't hard or complex or requiring of study. That it's simply a rule that they have not been exposed to or a, a piece of guidance. And once they know that piece of guidance, they can do whatever the experts do. The other reason is a lot of people want proof that the number that they are supervising is, quote, too many. <laughs> so it's, it's always funny at conferences when people ask the question, right? And we say, you know, six to eight and the look on their faces when they only have five directs is precious. Yeah, <laughs> they're certain that no one should be asked to manage five to six people because it is so very, very hard to do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And therefore, you know, they need to know that the number is 28 and, or, or the, I'm sorry, they need to know that the number is two and asking me to do five or six is just triple, triple the possible workload. And yeah. so, you know, I, I admit there are times when people think, hey, my boss is a manager tools guy, I'm a manager tools guy. If I'm able to tell my manager tools boss guy that the number is two, and he's given me five, then he'll change it. Or he'll give me a raise, one of the two. Yeah. I Actually, to tell you the truth, I don't think people who come to us with that question, they don't want to raise. They want less people. Yeah. And they, they really do. And 
What's interesting about it is, if you think about it a little bit, guys, they do this in part because they don't think, they don't realize that the issue isn't size, it's behavior. They have that opinion because they're like the vast majority of managers who believe that there is no right or most effective way to manage. They've seen hundreds of managers. They all behave differently. They can't discern any pattern to the rewards those managers receive. And it's such a common misconception that there isn't an accepted body of knowledge about what it takes to be an effective manager that has become conventional wisdom. And guys, for those of you who don't know, conventional wisdom is is largely a pejorative phrase because wisdom is not conventional. People think of themselves as being wise. And yes, there is such a thing as the wisdom of crowds, but that's different than everybody thinking the same thing. So look, let's go back to that first reason. We're going to call it people want it to be simple. First of all, we empathize with them. We've been there. The issue is that too many of us want, here's the key, guys, we want both the art and the science to be simple. In other words, we want the simple guidelines we learn initially, the science, to be the only knowledge necessary to do what we need to do. We don't want to think about the art that somebody gets after 20 years of thinking about organizational size and structure. Yeah, I want that too, frankly. It's just, yeah, it's yeah, just it not true, great. unfortunately. It's just not true. It's like the old phrase, nothing is impossible for the guy who doesn't have to do it himself. He's like, well, how hard can it be? And I've said that to you about the website before, right? It's like, yeah, come on, dude. It's, it's like one line code. of code. Like, come on. Yeah, it's just code. It's just code. How hard can it be? You know, a thousand monkeys on typewriters. <laughs> um, and the fact is, it's not so. Um, when you learn some simple guidelines, those are the starting point. Look, we call them simple guidelines for a reason, partially because you can be simple and still get them. And those guidelines give us the basic science, the basic building blocks to make a start, to inform an early effort. But the really elegant solutions, the ones that seem to work easily and smoothly, are often due to more than science. It's really art. The simple guidelines aren't enough to get you there. Now that you know six to eight, you can't structure a Fortune 1000 company. That requires years of practice, years of paying attention, years of synthesizing results, and learning to trust your instincts, which in the beginning, you don't have. So basically here at Manager Tools and Career Tools, we give you the simple science, the guidelines kind of to get you started. It's a bit ludicrous for us to think that we can turn any person into a brilliant top 1% manager just with some podcast. We can get you 75% of the way there. That other 25% is art, and it's personal, and it's subtle, and it takes years. And, as we've said before, in the land of the blind, the one-eyed person is king or queen. So 75% is a long way when it comes to managing. Yeah, far above the, the average, that's for sure. Yeah, and the second reason, the issue of I'm supervising too many, is easy to understand. We want to blame our failings on an external actor, an external force, a rule that's been violated that we didn't have control over. And guys, sometimes structure is the culprit, but it's usually not team size. If you ever get to thinking that your team size is the problem, please pause, work on your behavior first, and we'll be, we'll be selfish here and say, try the manager tools trinity, one-on-ones, feedback, coaching, delegation. Yes, there's four parts to our trinity. It's a marketing technique. Only after you've exhausted solutions that rely on behavior and your behavioral change 
ought you consider blaming the organization for your poor performance? Somebody before you has likely done the job you're doing with that many directs at your firm or someone else, somewhere else just fine. So you whine, you complain, you could be putting yourself in an awkward spot when your boss says, hey, Robert did it. And guys, just so you know, the underlying rationale for why there is no right number is simple. All organizational structure building follows two rules. First, support the business. Two, consider the incumbent. It's only the first part that is embodied in these guidelines we're going to give you. That second rule, how you build structure, is much more complex, and we'll save that for a future cast. Yeah, I was wondering if we're going to get into that. Yeah. That, that, that is a big topic. To me, that's fun. And it, actually, there are some simple rules to get you started in it, but people just don't. They think that organizations really are line and block charts rather than organizations. In other words, right. not mechanizations. Yeah. And once people think about it just a little bit, then they start to realize, oh, I guess the incumbent, who's the, per the manager, it <laughs> makes a difference. Yeah. Some people can handle 20. Some people can't handle five. That's right. And if you're the one that can handle five, 20 just seems ludicrous. Oh, seems yeah, ludicrous. Plaid. Plaid. Absolutely plaid. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about our simple guidance, right? Folks want, they don't want a complex answer sometimes. And if you need a starting point, we think six to eight is, is a good place to start. Yeah, for most managerial and even many dire directorial roles, and guys, that means director, that means manager of managers, six to eight directs is a good starting point. If you have an absolute blank slate, you've been given no guidance, you've never done this before, you don't have any names of people to populate those boxes yet, and particularly if you're not sure you're going to be the manager of this team, draw a manager box and six or seven or eight directs boxes. Now, if you're just starting, and you're pretty sure you only need one person, okay, don't put six. But if you don't know, if it's going to be a full-fledged team, then six to eight is a starting point, and you can move up or down from there. Now, look, if you don't think that's scientific enough, six to eight, and there are people who will, in fact, a friend of mine said, why don't you say seven? And I said, well, because if I say seven, somebody's going to ping me about, well, should it be six or eight? Or they, Seven implies there's, there is pure science here and the number is actually seven but the research showed that in different organizations sometimes it was six sometimes it was eight but guys if you don't think that six to eight is scientific enough for you choose six and we'll talk about why the lower number is better and our fourth point about choosing less people and that's your guidance six to eight what's the reason yeah here here's what's interesting here i mean if you do the if you look at the the the, the research the data um, the reason has very little to do with the manager. They did a large enough test that they believed that they eliminated managerial behavior, not completely, but enough to make scientific judgments about size. There were several studies, quite a few of which actually were in the military, and the underlying driver they found was not the manager, but the amount of internal communication necessary to sustain results. Larger teams create greater need for internal communication. If there's more people on the team, more people have to talk to one another. They have to coordinate work. They have to sustain the relationships they have that build trust, that reduce friction. And since there is limited time in the day, you, if you spend more time on internal communications, you have less time available for external communication and work completion. So in a very bizarre way, even small teams have the equivalent of a bureaucratic drain 
if I have to communicate with more people, I have less time to do my work. Yeah. When I was thinking about this earlier, I was thinking about if you had a, a manager had two people and they added a third person, the amount of communications, the number of relationships there almost right. doubles going from two to three. No, 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 doesn't double. No, 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 no. This is Horseman's Law of Children. Oh, I used to okay. tell I used to tell people, people would say, oh, you have three kids. That's kind of easier than, you know, it's it's roughly the same as two. I said, no, you're, you're making a mistake. You don't know the math. The math is when you have two kids, you have one relationship. That's all. When you go to three kids, you triple the number of relationships. You go from one relationship, A and B, to three, A and B, B and C, and A and C, okay? So, so the math is not uh, additive. It's, I think it's pretty sure it's geometric. It may be, hell, for all I know, it's logarithmic. Uh, it's got a factorial in there somewhere. Yeah, it, yeah, it's something. I think it's a permutation or combination or some sort of calculus or derivative or, I don't know, something like that. So, yeah, you add more people, it's the number of relationships, and early on in small teams, it makes a notable difference. And oftentimes, the person who wants the science answer doesn't consider human interaction. They just think, well, how, how much harder can it be? It's only one more person. And they're not thinking about the behaviors that go on in a team. Yeah, and then as I was preparing for this show, I was, I was, I was thinking about it and said, oh, wait, 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 what about the nature of the work and all that? And, and then you, uh, not surprisingly, you, we addressed that later on. It's like, oh, Mark missed something really, really Yeah, big. really yeah. important. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and you know, you know, it's funny. We will get some notes, I think, saying I missed this or I missed that. And that's fine, guys. We, we can't, you know, we can't do six-hour casts. Um, this is not a university course. We're trying to help you with a problem you might have next week when your boss says, I don't have time for you to go to university course. I need you to come up with a structure. And that's what we're trying to help you do. So it's the number of relationships which drives the, number, the amount of communication. You know, six to eight is kind of our simple guidance, but if there's any doubts whatsoever, don't start at eight, right? Don't even yeah. start at six. Start at four. Test somebody. Let's see how they do. Yeah. This really doesn't technically need to be here because it's a behavioral solution rather than the science question, but I just couldn't resist because of a sort of a blind spot that managers have about org structure. You know, if six to eight is your starting point, now look, we're assuming that some of you will say, no, 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 I need 10. And that could be okay. You could justify that. But then you, they say to themselves, I can't handle that. So I don't know what to do. Some folks will say, I need eight, but maybe I can only handle six. Or, hey, I need six, but I can handle 10. What should I do? Well, don't, don't hire 10. This cast won't completely solve that. We can't nail that problem for you necessarily. There's, there, there's judgment in there. That's why we said six to eight and not seven. And look, guys, the first time you do anything, you're unlikely to be very, very good at it. We've often said here that we won't make you the best ever, but we will keep you from sucking. And as I said earlier, in the land of the blind, the one-eyed person is king or queen. The issue here is that you could give one person six and they'll mess it up, but someone else could handle 10 and be fine. And that, that relates to that incumbent rule we talked about earlier. And that's why folks often get frustrated with structure questions, because in the same way they watch managers and can't understand why she's doing okay, but he's not, and they can't discern the difference in their style, the outcomes of the first manager that you put in a role of a structure you build are not solely a function of the structural decision, because the outcomes are far more likely to be based on managerial behavior. So the solution to reduce the problem of a first 
time manager not being able to handle a team of eight or ten, if in fact that's the structure, is to give new managers experience with some management responsibilities before they get a team with a budget and some visibility, before they start having flop sweat that, oh my gosh, I'm not going to be able to do this. I've never managed before. My manager used to have six and they're giving me 10. And my manager had managed for five years. I'm new. You're giving me 10. Oh, I'm going to fail. I'm going to fail. So look, guys, the best way to do this is identify better performers when you're thinking about promoting somebody, or I'm sorry, before you think about promoting somebody, identify your better performers who have an affinity for and an ability in management, not just that they're a top performer. That's not enough. Sometimes even your second best performer is the right person to promote. And give them a small team to lead while you're still their manager. Give them less than a full complement of managerial responsibilities. In other words, just give them four people to supervise. Don't give them a budget. If your company won't let you allow them to write the reviews because HR is, is enforcing a rule, and, and they may be enforcing a rule somewhat officiously, but, or, they, or they may say, no, let's really not because you don't want that team lead having to go into a steel cage deathmatch meeting. That would be an intelligent HR person saying it. And by the way, speaking of HR, it, Wall Street Journal just read an, had an article this week, companies are getting rid of HR. Uh, but then in the same article, they said that the Society for Human Resource Management recommends that companies, when growing, when they get to 15 people, need an HR person, which is just about the most self-serving, ludicrously <laughs> plaid thing that has ever been said by any trade organization in the world, 15. Guys, the answer is 100 and really might even be 125 or 150. So anyway, but look. Many managers would say, oh, they won't let me do that. I can't make team lists. Sure you can. You just don't talk about it. You say, hey, Jane, you're awesome. I want to give you four people to lead, and you're going to mess it up, but you're going to mess it up, and I'm going to be your boss, and we're just going to say that we're giving you some additional responsibilities. Give them projects to manage, and let them make some mistakes, and then hopefully cover for them. And as long as you don't insist on an org chart change where your person gets to be a team lead, as long as you don't insist on pay, and if the person really wants to grow, why would they say, oh, no, if you give me more responsibilities, I need more pay? If they do that, you don't want them to become a manager. There you go. Okay? You can get away with this far more readily than you realize if you don't make it official, if you don't make it formal, if you don't start crowing and broadcasting it. Now, we're getting into another cast, but, you know, give somebody four to manage for six months or to supervise for six months and let them get a taste of it. Let them get a taste of trying to do, if you let them, one-on-ones. But by the way, folks, if you, if you assign somebody a team lead and they have four, let's say you have eight and you give one of your guys four and that leaves you with three, that person with four, if he's going to do or she's going to do one-on-ones, you can't do one-on-ones with those people. You got to let them learn to do it on their own and develop the relationships on their own. Otherwise, those skip now skips or those virtual skips of yours will still think of you as their boss. Yeah. Well, well, that guidance there is really just an, an instance of a more general rule, which is if you're torn between the numbers, six, eight, whatever, choose the lower number. Give them less, not more. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And there are two reasons for that. First of all, less are easier to manage. There's less bureaucracy. There's less internal communications. The second reason is cost reduction, guys. More people mean more budget, 
and more administration and more space and more equipment and more badges and more training budget and materials and desks and technology and salary. And salary is a scary thing, guys. A number of years ago, I remember learning that people were getting mad that they were getting bonuses and not raises. You know, because they're like, hey, I, I, want, I want a raise. I want it to happen again next year automatically. And so that's exactly why they're giving you bonuses. They didn't have a good enough year to justify raises because raises are like the foundation of a house and bonuses are like a tent outside that you can use as a room. Right. Um, but it's not permanent. And the company doesn't have to account for that in three to five year plans that say, gosh, look at our employment costs ballooning. Yeah. That's okay. You can you can you can demand a, a salary versus a bonus. You can guarantee that the company is going to grow another twenty percent next year as well. I mean, if you can guarantee that, then okay. oh, everybody can do that. Every, yeah, everybody absolutely, can do that though, right? Sure. Yeah. Look, and on the second point, guys, too many people means more meaningless work is getting done. If the right number, if there is such a thing for a particular person, is six, and you choose eight, those two people and everybody else in the team are going to be encouraged to look busy by doing stuff that's not valuable. And that makes it harder because they're going to protect work that you don't want them doing to begin with. Fewer people promotes focus on fewer key tasks. And fewer people have less time to waste. So don't have more. Always less. If you're wondering whether to hire one or two people, your answer is one every time. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, there's a lot of remote workers these days. And it, yeah. it absolutely is more difficult to manage people who are remote. So if somebody has, if somebody has people working remote, then it's probably fewer. Yeah. I actually had a guy, it's been three or four years ago now, said to me, I've got a guy working for me and he's remote. I said, okay, where is he? You know, how, how, what are we talking about remote? I, he says, no, Mark, I just mean he's a distant kind of guy. He's not warm. He's not, <laughs> I'm like, oh, Okay, I'm, I'm sorry. That's I'm not sorry. what we mean here. You used the right, yeah, <laughs> dude, you totally used the wrong word. <laughs> yeah, the number, when you have remote people, it shrinks to five to six. And frankly, if you're a new manager and the first team you get is remote and you had a say, which you won't very often, the answer would be five. Managing remote workers is much harder than managing workers you see every day. Don't believe what your firm tells you. The reason they're, the teams are remote is cost savings, okay? Um, they don't want to move people. Moving is expensive. They're going to want the team to be dictated by the needs of the customer, the needs of the market, which is technically true. That's the first rule of structure. On the other hand, you want the team to succeed, and the difference there is your skill, and you're going to be tempted to agree that you can handle more, and many of us can't. Now, you can try if you want. Just understand that it's harder. Six to eight remote is harder than six to eight local. And discretion here is the better part of value if you have a say, which you probably don't. And by the way, here's something that will astound many of you. And every time I say it at conferences, people are like, really? The manager tools definition of remote is anyone sitting more than 50 meters from you. And that includes anyone on a different floor of the same building. It's that bad. And by the way, we don't make that up, guys. That's the, the data suggests that if you're a manager and you're managing people on multiple floors in the building, the people that you're going to have by far the best relationship with, a normal relationship, are the people who are sitting near you. Now, can there be people who manage people remotely? Sure. I mean, I don't think there's anybody who's co-located at Manager Tools. We're managing remote. No, Everyone's yeah, remote. Everybody's remote. And, you know, we're, on the other hand, Mike and I have been managing for 30 years. And we're not managing a lot. We both could manage a great deal more, 
but but sure, you can manage remotely. Just recognize that from a structural perspective, it's harder and smaller is better. I mentioned it earlier. Let's get to the nature of the work, complementary versus non-complementary work. And if the work your team is doing is non-complementary, um, you can manage a lot more. But if it is complementary work, it's much harder. Yeah. Our six to eight rule really is a legitimate starting point. If you want a slightly less simple rule that isn't yet art, you have to consider the type of work being done on the team. So explain what I meant by complementary, non-complementary, because <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'm totally. Exactly. You're just saying what's in the show notes, right? You're just, that's right. You're a newsreader. That's it. Right. Sure. Yeah. That's. Remember in the beginning, somebody would come to us. We were both presenting at a conference. People would say, does Mike know the answers? I would look at him and go, he's a genius. Yes, he knows the answers. He plays a straight guy because that works for us. And guys, if you don't know it, if you're listening now, in the beginning, people would, would say to us something that we never planned, which is the way you guys interact is really great. It makes the cast listenable. And guys, we did not plan that at all. We did not. Yeah. So anyway, all right. Here's the idea about complementary. If the work of the individuals on your team must be combined to produce a final team output, team size guidance shrinks. If team output is created individually and simply added up, larger teams are possible. Give me an example of that. Yeah, I want to just hint at the theory and then I'll come back to it in a minute. Remember what we said about structure being a function of internal communications. If people's work has to be combined, they have to talk about it. If it doesn't have to be combined, they don't have to talk about it. And so with less internal communications, you could actually have more. Okay, examples though. You're managing a marketing and communication team. The client liaison guy who works for you brings an ideal to the table, right, from the client. The design guy comes up with a theme. The graphics guy creates a palette for them. The copywriter writes copy based on the graphic theme and the message. The tech team translates that into media decisions. The production assistant creates a set, gathers resources for a shoot. This is a team engaged in highly complementary work. They have to communicate amongst themselves to produce any output. The graphics guy can't do something that's graphics alone that has any value to the client. Right. It might look good, but it has nothing to do with that particular campaign. Yeah. Right? Well, no, no, it might have something to do with the campaign. It has no value in and of itself. Right. Right. Counting what one of them did as work output for the team, like look at the pretty color palette we've created that we think really is evocative of this client's message. Counting that would be like saying there's value on the golf course in having just a golf grip, the thing that you actually grip on your golf club versus a grip with a shaft and a club head and a glove and a ball. It takes all of those things to make a shot. And having more grips doesn't help you. Having 50 grips saying, oh, well, I just really need grips, it doesn't help you. Having a bunch of graphics guys, but no production guy, no design guy, no media guy, no copywriter doesn't get you where you need to go. Right. Okay, they have to work together. Their work is combined to create a, an output. So what's an example of non-complementary work then? My favorite one is a guy that I knew that was a regional manager at Walmart. I asked him, how many stores do you have? He says, I have 10, but I can handle 20. Yeah, he, was, he was beating his chest a little bit. But if you are managing a region of retail stores, the seven store managers report to you. 
In other words, you're the, the regional manager and the store managers report to you. Your team probably produces 25x the value of the marketing team. And, and for the record, don't worry about all the store managers directs. That is a different rule of structure. Okay, That span of control is a different equation than the regional manager's equation. But hopefully you should know that by now. There is no value created by the combination of two stores output. That's just accounting. Store managers, obviously, they talk to one another, but their value to the firm doesn't depend upon the two stores combining their employees' work efforts in order to produce results, which in a store's case would be revenue and profit. Okay, Their work each stands alone. Another example would be managing call center reps. Those call center reps, their value is on the phone with individuals not talking to one another. That work is significantly less complementary than the marketing team. Complementary means having to be combined or combining well. Okay, So the manager of the retail store, the manager of the call center team, could manage more people. Again, all things being equal, which they never are, he could manage more stores than if the store's work had to be combined to produce value. So that's why you see frontline managers in call centers, as an example, where we have a lot of friends. The guy who comes to mind for me is Matt Beckwith, but if you're in a call center, you know, sometimes your first team is 15 people. They're applying the rule of non-complementary work to say you can manage more people because they don't communicate as much internally in order to produce value. Their value is one-to-one -one with customers. We could talk about this topic for days, right? I mean, this is... Yeah, and I really thought this was going to be a 15, 20-minute cast, but I immediately started getting into the things like complementary and so on. So I'm, I'm sure we'll be coming back to this yeah. topic at some I've point in the future. I've got a whole series. I want I to talk about do. structure more broadly and so on. Part of the problem with structure, though, is I worry that it's less actionable. Um, but every time I ask people in the field, they say, you know, it's okay to do some non-actionable stuff. Um, our friend Mark Granger just told me that over dinner. Hey, I like your stuff that's not actionable. Sometimes you have a, a pearl of wisdom. And then he elbowed me and said, you know, once every 500 casts, you, have, you say something that's of interest. Anyway. <laughs> I like so, Mark. I, I, we like Mark a lot. Um, and I'm kidding you guys. He didn't actually say that. The part about the 500. Um, so look, let me wrap up. Guys, there is no right number okay, in the art of structure. Okay? But if you need to start in point, six to eight is a good way to start, good place to start. It really is a behavioral problem, but of course, structural problems are started with out people in roles whose talents you know. So therefore, it's way better to test somebody with a small team of four before you give them a team of six or eight. Always choose too few if you can't decide. Less is better. Less unimportant work will be done, and maybe people will discover how much work they actually can do. If your team is virtual or remote, ideally, it should be smaller. And I use the word should lightly. And non-complementary work means you can handle more. Guys, getting structure right is an art. It's not a science. These guidelines are just the initial science. They're meant to get you started in about the right place. You're much better off with fewer and then growing. And no matter where you start, consider the person who's in the role. And don't forget that structure matters a lot less than mission and management. Awesome. Thanks, my friend. Anytime, partner. All right. See you later. Thanks, everyone. That's it. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you next week. Have a great one. So long.